This is Jesus Politics by Tony Franklin. This episode is a sermon on Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, which I am calling, Why Incarnation? Your Bible is not enough to get you to heaven. Your Bible functions as the law, which the Jewish people had through the Old Testament, but it did not help them stay faithful to God any more than our Bibles today help us get to heaven. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, called the law, or the scriptures they had, their nanny, or nursemaid, not like a grandma, but like a hired servant to keep children alive long enough through their first few years. You might think of Mary Poppins, but probably not quite as good as Mary Poppins. Maybe a grumpy, cranky Mary Poppins. That's what the Jewish concept of the law was. Or some people have described the law as being bumpers at the bowling alley that cover up the gutters so that as you roll the ball down, if you have the tendency to aim toward the gutter, either intentionally or not, it will bump you back into the lane and hopefully get you to the pins down at the end of the lane there. I don't think that's the best image of the Bible for our lives, though, unless our bowling balls have a habit of leaping over the bumpers from time to time. No, the reason our Bibles are not enough to get us to heaven is that most of us wake up every day, get out of bed and start down the highway to the other place, not heaven. Why do we do that? The reason is because we work for the devil and it's just a normal day going to work. If that seems kind of extreme, think about this. How often does your day at work feel like a trip to heaven? The reason we work for the devil and head toward his house instead of working for God and going to God's house is that the world has taught us to act that way, to be that way since we were born. Even after we pray a prayer and promise God we will serve him for our entire life, the reality is we have no idea how to do that. We have no idea how to change. So the very next day, we wake up, we get dressed, and we head down that bad path all over again, working for the wrong person. So what does our Bible do? Our Bibles, or more specifically, reading our Bibles— because the truth is, if you have a Bible, but it sits on a mantle or a shelf and gathers dust, it does you no good whatsoever. But reading our Bibles has this effect. We wake up every morning. We get dressed. We head out the door down that wrong path one more time. Our foot catches on something and we trip. We fall flat on our face. We get up shake off the stars spinning around our heads and see that Bible laying there on the floor innocently. We grumble and we complain and we usually end up heading down that bad path again. But this time we're a little more aware that it's not the right way to go. Every time we read our Bible throughout the day, it trips us again. We fall on our face again and we get up disgruntled and sometimes confused. 
our Bibles won't get us to heaven. They will just make our path to hell not near as smooth, much more painful and very frustrating. Why are we talking about the Bible and reading our Bible? Because this Christmas Sunday, it's the day that we celebrate how grateful we are that God did not leave us with only the Bible to get us to heaven. When the word was not enough, the word became flesh and came down to live among us. The story of God's love became a real human being. And that may sound really strange, but it shouldn't because that happens all the time, every day. Children are the embodiment of the love of their parents that has become a real human being. The big fancy church word for that is incarnation. And that word just means in the flesh. Paul, the apostle, in sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone he ran across, came to a man named Epaphras. Paul took him under his wing and mentored him for a bit. And Epaphras eventually went on to pastor a church in a town called Colossae. And he had some success there, but he needed some help. So he reached out and he asked Paul to help him lead the people to a deeper kind of faith than what they currently had. Perhaps he had a few people tripping on their Bibles, but still going the wrong way. You know, I think if Epaphras had his way, he may have led the first Christian leadership retreat. But unfortunately, Paul couldn't come in person because he was in jail in Rome. So instead of coming and leading that retreat, Paul did the best thing he could. He sent them a letter. And we have that today in our Bibles as the letter to the Colossians. In this letter, Paul tells them how Jesus himself has the power to save us and that our Bibles serve the purpose of pointing us to him. It's the word made flesh lesson all over again. But in chapter three, starting in verse 12 of the letter to the Colossians, Paul tells us that Jesus did more than just come as a walking, talking Bible. He brought us presents. I want you to think for a moment about the gifts you got for Christmas. Did you get socks? Did you get shirts or pants or perhaps dresses? It seems that somebody always gets clothes for Christmas. Jesus gave us wearable presents as well, although they aren't made of fabric. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the gifts of Jesus. These are the things Jesus gives us and he tells us to wear. The first one he gives us is tender-hearted mercy. In the Greek, this is two words. And the first one refers to a feeling. In ancient Greek and in ancient Hebrew culture, uh, their concept of emotions was not seated in the heart as we in the uh, modern day contemporary West typically think of emotions. They understood them as being seated in the stomach, in the, the guts. And I think that they felt this way because when we feel intense emotions, we feel it in our guts. It makes our insides squirm when we feel intense emotions. Uh, 
And that first word was about feeling intense emotions and the kind of emotion that Paul wanted them to feel was compassion. Compassion, which means to suffer with, uh, to, to want to help, not necessarily be able to help because there's oftentimes where we feel that compassion, but we aren't able to, to make the difference that we wish we could. These two words together, which get translated tenderhearted mercy, uh, are, are really just this intense feeling for the suffering of, uh, of those around us and wanting to make a difference. We're supposed to wear that. We're not supposed to hide those feelings or get rid of those feelings. Jesus tells us uh, through Paul here in Colossians uh, that we're supposed to wear those feelings. Intense compassion. And it doesn't stop at feelings, though, because the next term, the next gift of Jesus Paul tells us that we're supposed to wear is kindness. And this is an act. It's not a feeling. It's not a, a demeanor. It's an act. You may have heard of random acts of kindness. I think the, the, the Bible uh, loves random acts of kindness, but what it really wants from us is intentional acts of kindness, things that we know what we're doing. So we take that feeling of intense compassion and we do something about it through acts of kindness. That's the second item, the gift of Jesus that we're supposed to wear and then when we do this, we're not supposed to blow our trumpets and get the spotlight and, and grab everybody's attention. We're supposed to do this wearing humility, not seeking that attention for ourselves, doing it because it's the right thing, doing it because we love these people, doing it because we love God. And this is what he would do. This is what he desires from us. We're supposed to have those feelings of tenderhearted mercy, those acts of kindness. And we're supposed to do all that with humility and not just humility, but with gentleness, with meekness, as opposed to harshness. It's easy when we get into a business of caring for others, when we get into activities of caring for others to become calloused, to become uh, bitter sometimes and gruff because of the, the times that we deal with people that are difficult, the challenges that we face, our good deeds thrown back in our face, it can make us hard. But Jesus tells us to put on gentleness, to put on meekness instead of harshness. And then last, he says we're to put on patience, to wear patience. And I know that's everybody's favorite word. It's one of mine, too. But I came across the definition of, of patience that I want to share with you. Patience is the emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune. And I can get around that much. The idea that you can keep your cool when people are pestering you. When people are trying to make you trip up. Or when something terrible happens to you outside of your control, patience is the ability to have emotional calm in the midst of those storms. That much I can gather, but here's where it gets really tricky. Emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune without complaint or grumbling. And that's where it gets me. I can have that emotional calm for a moment. I can have that emotional calm for an hour, maybe two. But at some point during that day, 
I need to go home. I need to go to a corner. I need to go find somebody and just vent. And the complaints and the grumblings just start pouring out of me. And at that point, I've taken off patience. Patience has ended with me. And now I'm grumbling and complaining. Patience that Jesus calls us to wear is the emotional calm in that face of provocation or misfortune without complaint or grumbling. In chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And I think if I had to take that passage and try to condense it down uh, to something that really speaks to me and makes sense to me in a very simple, simple way, I would say it like this. Carry one another. You may have seen that picture called Footprints in the Sand or the, or the, the poem uh, that kind of goes along with it that talks about a person throughout their life walking by the, the seashore and that there were two, foots of, two sets of footprints at certain points. And they're talking to Jesus and they ask, why is it that every so often the two sets disappear and there's just one, perhaps thinking that Jesus has left them? What has happened in those points when there's only one set of footprints? And Jesus turns to the person and says, that's when I carried you. Because Jesus does carry us through those times in life when we can no longer walk on our own. And just like Jesus, we are called to carry one another. We are called to carry one another. And in the midst of this, uh, us all trying to wear this um, tenderhearted mercy, this uh, compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness and the patience. Uh, and, and as I say, we try we don't do it perfectly. We try. And as we do that with one another, trying to carry one another, we're going to mess up. We're going to hurt one another. And in those cases where we have complaint against one another, or we have things we hold against one another, we're commanded to forgive one another. And there's a why. And every time this particular command about forgiveness comes up in the Bible, there typically is this same why that's connected with it. We are to forgive one another because Jesus forgave us. We're talking about Christmas presents that, that Jesus gives us and these different articles of clothing. This forgiveness is sort of like last year's Christmas present. Christmas presents don't just last a year for the most part. We get special ones every now and then that we keep with us for years and years and years. And every time we see it or every time we use it, we think of the person that gave it to us. And those become very special, very treasured possessions that we have. We have a past Christmas gift from a Christmas that was given to us before we were even born. And that was Jesus giving up his life as a sacrifice to forgive us for our sin. And so because Jesus gave that gift to us, we therefore should forgive one another. In verse 14 and 15, Paul writes, Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. 
these gifts of love and peace uh, were called to wear also, but in special ways. That gift of love uh, is kind of like one great big article of clothing that we're all supposed to wear together. And I've seen pictures of people wearing uh, two-person sweaters where they both fit in, in, in one sweater together. But the kind of uh, shirt or pants or whatever it is that we would have to, to wear uh, all together would have to be gigantic and there would have to be so many armholes in it. It just wouldn't be practical. It may, it may be a good picture of what it looks like to really live in that godly love with one another, too, because to wear that as a people would require a lot of communication and a lot of coordination. We couldn't walk because we'd all be going in different directions and facing different ways. We'd have to trust one another. We'd have to really love one another to be able to wear that well because it would physically draw us all together. And we may end up just rolling down the road because that may be the easiest way to move wearing something like that. I think it's probably a better way to think about it as multiple shirts, but all of the same design, all coming from the same place, recognizing that we are all together. We're brought together in that love. And Paul tells us that if we wear that love, it will draw us together. And that peace of Christ, that's not just supposed to be worn. It's supposed to be reaching inside of us. It's supposed to take hold of our hearts and direct us. The peace, the fullness that, that God brings into our lives is a strong peace. It's not a flimsy, oh, we just don't happen to be fighting at the moment. It's a lordship. It's, it's a peace that reigns, both in the sense that a king reigns, but also in the sense that a horse has reins that leads and guides and directs them. It's strong. It's firm. And instead of walk, letting us walk down that wrong path in life, it turns us around and gets us back on the path that goes towards God. It's a firm peace that holds us together. And not just as a person, but as a community. Love and peace we all wear together. It draws us together into one body. And then he says this, be thankful. He doesn't say wear gratitude. He says, be thankful people. Because that, that gratitude holds a special place in building us as a community, in building us as people, in shaping our character. And sometimes it does it in ways that are more subtle and much more powerful than we even realize. Practicing gratitude may be one of the fastest ways to grow in your faith. Be thankful, people. Don't just wear gratitude be thankful people. In verse 16, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And again, I would say just in a very simple fashion, uh, how I would describe that or translate that myself is fill up daily and use all that you've got. You need to start by filling up. He says, let the message about Christ fill you up to the brim. Go seek those stories of Jesus. 
as you start your day, before trouble comes along, before that provocation, before the tests of your patience come, fill yourself with the message and stories of Jesus. And not just a little bit, not just a sip or a taste. Fill yourself up till you can't take any more. Then, after you filled yourself up, then go teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that God gives. It's often tempting for us to want to just get out there and help people before we ourselves have been filled up. And it's not the responsibility of anybody else to fill us up. It's our own responsibility to fill ourselves up. So that when we go out into the world then to serve, to live, to be God's people, we actually have something to give. Fill yourself up and then go teach and counsel one another with all the wisdom that he gives. He tells us that we should sing songs to God. And he, he uses the term psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think in our context, it could be easily understood as old songs, new songs, and songs you made up just on the car ride to church or work or wherever you're going. God doesn't care what songs you're singing, that you're singing to him. He just wants to know that you're singing to him. And some of us feel like we don't have the voice for singing. Maybe we're more of this sort of joyful noise folk. But there's a, a, a secret that Paul gives to the Colossians here about the difference between a joyful noise and really making beautiful music. The secret to worshiping in music is that if you have a thankful heart, Again, that gratitude. If you are a thankful people with a thankful heart, it will tune that joyful noise into a beautiful melody. So sing those songs to God, whether they're old songs that you love, new songs that you love, or songs that just came to you in a moment. Sing them to God with a grateful heart. And whatever you do, Paul writes, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We need to represent. We need to wear these gifts of Jesus, the tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. We need to carry one another and forgive one another. We need to wear love and peace that draws us together. We need to fill up with the message of us, messages about Christ, the stories of Jesus, and then share everything that we've got. And then we need to represent because there's still a lot of our day that is not covered in those few verses there. Anything else we do, anything else we do that is more than this, we need to make sure we're doing it as if we are running an errand for Jesus, that we're working for him, that we're representing him. And that in the process of that, we're giving thanks to God the Father, because that is what Jesus did all throughout his ministry. He was the example of a grateful heart. Everywhere he went, giving thanks to his Father. We're to represent him. And we're to give thanks to God, our Heavenly Father, as well. So anything else that we're doing, we need to do as if we were serving Jesus right there. Now we're heading into the new year and it's time to set some goals for ourselves. This is probably uh, one of the times that uh, 
books about dieting and diet plans and diet apps or books about exercising and exercising plans and apps, uh, any of those self-improvement goals, they probably sell more and do more business in the month of January, especially in the first few weeks than in any other time of the year. This is the time that we as a people, we as a culture set goals for ourselves. And as we think about our spiritual life, I want you to know that if you have a goal to read more in the Bible, perhaps you have a goal to read through the Bible in a year, which is a, a wonderful goal. But I have to tell you, it's, it's not enough. It's too low of a goal for what you really need spiritually. Because we're not called to know more about the Bible. God wants more from us than just knowing about him and knowing about the scriptures. We're called to be like Jesus. And because Jesus was fully human and fully God, our quest to be like Jesus is the same quest that we have to become holy, set aside chosen people, chosen to work with God, not with the world. No longer working for the devil on that highway to hell. We're chosen by God to serve and work for him. Walking to his house. On the right road. How does that work for you? How do we do this? It's one thing to talk about being Christ-like. But how do you actually do that? What are the things that you need to do to make that change in your life? First of all, you need to put a bookmark in your Bible or write a note on your phone or wherever that says Colossians 3 verses 12 through 17. So you can come back and refer to this passage over and over and over again. Make that note and put it somewhere where you'll see it every day. And then pick out one of those gifts in verse 12 that Jesus gives to us. Whether that's those feelings of tenderhearted mercy or acts of kindness, or maybe it's patience or perhaps humility. Pick out one of those gifts and see if you can wear it for a week. These are things that we need to try for more than just a day. We need to have some consistency build some new habits in our lives. So pick out one of those things and see if you can wear it for a week. And after a week, maybe two weeks, depending on your experience, how, how well it's going, when you feel like you've started to get the habit of wearing that particular gift, then move on to the next one. Move on to the, 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 the gift of humility. Move on to the gift of gentleness and meekness whichever one you choose move on to the next one and wear that for a while until it starts to become normal for you don't trade it up for the first one we're adding two adding pieces of of the spiritual clothing that we're wearing once it becomes normal then add another until you've got all five of them that you're wearing there and while you're doing that, not after you're doing it, but while you are practicing wearing these different gifts of Jesus, be in prayer and be in thought 
about who in your life you are supposed to be carrying. Who are you supposed to be carrying? And who do you need to forgive? Think about who you are supposed to be carrying and who you need to forgive. If you're like me, just doing those things right there will probably have you tripping and frustrated, maybe even more than just reading your Bible, perhaps by day three. And so don't forget that in the process of doing all this stuff, you need to fill yourself up every day. If you want to be able to wear those gifts, if you want to be able to carry those people and forgive those people, you need to fill yourself up every day. And so every day, find a story about Jesus to read, to watch, to listen to. It doesn't matter how you get it. Just make sure you're getting it. You can find those stories of Jesus all in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start there. Fill yourself up with those stories. Fill yourself up to the brim. And once you've filled yourself up with those stories, find someone to share it with each day. One little insight that you learned out of that. One little piece that you gained that maybe knew, that maybe gave you new ideas or took you in a different direction than you expected. Whatever you learn from filling yourself up with those stories of Jesus and practicing those holy habits that Colossians and Paul and Jesus encourage us to do. Find someone every day to share that experience with. If you do all of that, the Holy Spirit of God will transform you into a walking, talking word of God before you even know it. And within six months, you won't even recognize yourself when you look in the mirror. You'll be a changed person, not because of what you have done, but because what the Spirit of God is doing inside you and around you and through you because you are willing to open yourself up to that transformation. But there's one more thing that you need to know. That change that you have, that change you will experience by the grace of God, it will not last if you try to do it by yourself. You need brothers and sisters around you. You need a church. You need a community of faith. You need people around you who are walking the same path and can hold you close to it because we all trip and fall through this whole process. And it's not as simple as dusting yourself up, picking yourself up and getting back to it again. Sometimes during those falls, sometimes during those misfortunes and tragedies that strike us, we become broken and we can no longer walk on our own. We need people in our lives to carry us, just like we're to carry others. We need people walking beside us. We need people walking in front of us, helping to lead the way. And we need to be sure that we're bringing people along behind us, leading and guiding them as well. That's what the church is. The purpose of the church was to gather this community as everyone follows Jesus together. And we help one another and encourage one another as a community instead of only looking out for ourselves. 
if you walk with others who are also following Jesus. We will all keep each other going in the right direction. Our Bibles won't save us, but Jesus does save us. And we become living scriptures for one another, maybe guiding gently rather than tripping each other as we draw closer to God and to life eternal. Lord, we ask for your blessing as we start a new year. We ask for your love to fill us, your peace to reign in our hearts. We ask for the faith and the courage to try something new for you. We ask for the help we need to get used to new holy habits in our lives and the strength and encouragement we need to carry others and to forgive them even as we are carried by others and forgiven for the sins we commit against them. Lord, we thank you for the gift of spiritual community. And we pray that you would root us deep into a church or a community of faith somewhere where we have brothers and sisters that will hold us up to you in the times that we need it the most and that will provide opportunities for us to hold others up to you so that we can show our faith, we can use our faith, we can be the kind of people that you created us to be, the people that look like Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all of this and the gift that it is that we celebrate here right in the season between Christmas and New Year's celebrating the gifts that you've given us and a new opportunity to put them to work. Lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Jesus Politics by Tony Franklin.